Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Friends, I encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. We're going to be reading through Acts chapter 27 in just a moment. Uh, as I do, uh, have you turn with me in your own Bibles. Hey, somebody remind me, next time, the next time we go through a global pandemic and the pastor decides to pray with his 50-year-old low back, make sure that he brings a kneeling bench on the platform uh, if the spirit is moving, right? This may be a short sermon today. Not really. <laughs> Come on, you know better than that. Look at us at the end of Acts. Today is part 16, which incidentally, those of you who are keeping track of these things, is one Sunday more than our series in the book of Leviticus. Yeah, how about them apples? So today, we make it to the end. This whole journey began when the resurrected Jesus, who is now enthroned as the king of the world, said to those first people who had awakened to that good news, I need you to bear witness about these things. Be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the, the earth. And they did. They were infused with the power of the Spirit to do so. And they went and they proclaimed great news to those who were far away, or so they thought, from God. And not only did they proclaim the good news that they who thought they were far away have been brought close, but they lived in such a way that demonstrated what it actually looks like for human beings to be reconciled, put back together, redeemed. And because their lives and their message matched, there was integrity between what they said and what they did. The message spread like wildfire. And yet, what they experienced was something they couldn't prepare for. They could have never anticipated what they were feeling as they lived into this new reality because all of the former confidences that they used to have in all the, the delivery systems of faith, you know, the, the temple, the laws of Moses, the rituals like circumcision and cleansing, all of the delivery systems that had previously, I don't know, propped up their faith, were now beginning to kind of wobble a little bit because these had served a purpose for a while to bring them to a place where now they had come, that in Christ God was redeeming the world and bringing a new thing among them. But the new thing was celebrated by many who received it, but for those 
who were in charge of the delivery systems, <laughs> those who were the leaders of the religious systems and the political systems of the age, well, they resisted, pushed back, persecuted those who were declaring with their lives that God was doing a new thing, that in them they, they could experience being the temple of God, that, that God was willing to abide within them and, and to live in the world in a way that is beyond our control. And so persecutions and even martyrdom unfolded. And through, as we might sing, through many dangers, toils, and snares, they delivered this message to the world until ultimately Paul, one of the ones who used to persecute the church, was most convinced and most, most influential in spreading this good news, would now be arrested. Last week we, we studied about his trial. He was on trial before religious leaders, then on trial between uh, two and three political leaders until eventually they arrested him and decided to send him to Rome where he would then preach the good news right under the nose of the emperor on the greatest platform of the world beneath the most powerful person on the planet. How did we get there? Well, to give you a little bit of a spoiler alert about how the book of Acts ends, it ends with a final verse that is powerful. It reads something like this. So, Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. So Luke writes this story in such a way that makes us remember that this is how it launched, with no hindrance, with all boldness. But I'm here to tell you, it almost didn't happen. In fact, in the last two chapters of the book of Acts, we watch Paul who aboards the ship on his way to Rome and for weeks navigates a storm at sea and ultimately a shipwreck that, that is devastating and, and, and all manner of their supplies and their, their travel, their, their voyage was destroyed and they end up on the shore where they have to reevaluate and, and reorganize to continue their journey to, to Rome and it occurs to me, that's exactly how it always is. I am here to tell you today, if you hear nothing else, that the thing that God began in you will continue with great boldness and without hindrance. And I'm here to tell you as the pastor of this church that the movement of God's own spirit in this church, the, the movement, the fuel of the fire, the, the gospel of Jesus will continue as we borrow the language from Acts. It will continue with all boldness and without any hindrance, but I'm here to also tell you that it will always include a storm, a shipwreck, and a shore of salvation. And I don't know how you hear this today. Hear it with the ears of a church. Let's put on our common ears and hear it as a church, but hear it also as individuals walking and navigating your own journey of faith. There will always be a storm, a shipwreck, and a shore of salvation. First, a storm. Read with me beginning in Acts 27 verse 1. We hear these words. When it was decided that we were to sail for Italy, 
they transferred Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan court named Julius. Embarking on a ship from Adramidium that was about to set sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The, the next day, we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends and be cared for. Putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. That may be the most poignant phrase in the whole chapter. The winds were against us. It's, it's more than just a nautical expression describing how you have to navigate the waters of the Mediterranean. The winds were against them. There are some seasons in which it feels as if the winds themselves are against us. I'm thinking about the stories in the Gospels where in the middle of the night, in the darkest hour of the night, the disciples are in the boat and we're told by Matthew and also Mark that the winds were against them. In the first century, in regions like that, it was not uncommon for there to be some superstitions that, that kind of believed that the, I don't know, the meteorological forces of the world have kind of personalities. Yeah. That the rain, the floods, the, the thunder, the lightning, and the winds have personalities and a will. And at times it can feel as if the winds, the very forces of the created order are against you. Have you ever felt that way? Don't forget that in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is introduced to us as a what? A wind, the pneuma, the wind, spirit, breath of God. Almost like in the Hebrew Bible where we're introduced in the very first book of the Hebrew Bible to the ruach of God, the, the wind, the breath, the spirit of God. Anytime that you sense that the windy spirit of God's presence is calling you to something, anytime that you feel like God's windy spirit is bidding you to something, know this, there will always be counterwinds. There will always be gusts of counterwinds that attempt to blow you off course. So the wind of God's spirit may compel you, this is my dream school and I'm going to apply. And, and then the, the counterwinds of the admissions department are against you. <laughs> or the counterwinds of the financial aid department are against you. It may be that you sensed the wind of God to to leave your job and to begin something new, but maybe it was in January of 2020. And the counterwinds of, of all that we felt were against you. I remember at the end of 2019, there were many ways in which our church was poised for an amazing 2020. We had four strategic initiatives ready to launch. We had a consecutive number of Sundays in which people were stepping forward, not only to just join the church, but to get involved, to be engaged in the life of the church. And one of our staff members turned to me and said, I feel as if we are officially on fire. Yeah, the wind was blowing. 
And then counterwinds seemed to be against us. Anytime you feel the wind of God calling you to something, just know that there will be counterwinds that will feel like they are against you. So we continue reading in verse five. After we had sailed across the sea that is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we, we came to Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship bound for Italy and, and put us aboard. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Sinusitis. Just seeing if you're paying attention. And as the wind was against us, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone, sailing past it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lacia. Now, through the rest of this, it, tra- it reads like a travel log, like a captain's log. We stopped here, we avoided this. We went under here, we, we, we then ported for a bit, and then we followed this wind. It's like a captain's log, but more than that, in the midst of this chapter, Paul then stands up and says, look, this is a bad idea. We ought to stop. We should really not sail on, and they didn't listen to him. They, they con- continued to sail on without his, without his, or against his advice. And we pick up what happens when the storm continues in verse 13 well when a moderate south wind began to blow they thought they could achieve their purpose so they weighed anchor and began to sail past Crete close to the shore but soon a violent wind called a northeaster rushed down from Crete since the ship was caught and could not be turned head on into the wind we gave way to it and were driven Listen, interesting. I, I was thinking about the end of this past summer. Do you remember what it felt like? Some, sometimes you can, you can see the winds change and it feels like it's a wind that is a milder wind and you think the storm is over. And so we had great plans and we planned Sunday school and the community got back together and, and we had bigger attendance and folks were surging back because at last we can see each other again and masks were flying in the wind and then another wind not called a northeasterly but another wind called a delta variant surged and continued to wreak havoc yeah what do you what do you do when you don't know if the storm's over Let's continue reading. So, (laughs) by running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were scarcely able to keep the ship's boat under control. After hoisting it up, they took measures to undergird the ship. Watch this. Then fearing that they would run out onto the Sirtis or the, the sand dunes or the the, 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 yeah, the sand dunes, they, they, they lowered the sea anchor and were so driven. We were being pounded by the storm so violently that on the next day, they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day, with their own hands, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest raged, All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. 
moved by this image of throwing the very things they needed for survival overboard. What, what happens when you come to the discovery that the very thing that you thought was sustaining your life is actually the thing that's weighing it down? Does it take a certain kind of faith to take your own hands and throw overboard the things that used to sustain you in order to survive. I'm, I'm provoked by this image. In one translation, it says they were hoisting uh, cords underneath the boat to hold the hull of it together while they're trying to navigate this storm. And it occurs to me, in the last 20 months, if you have been responsible for anything at all, if you run a business, if you teach a classroom, if you're a nurse in an ER, if you're a pastor of a church, it has felt as if that is what you have been trying to do. You have to jettison the things that have been important all along, but are simply at this moment weighing us down in order to hold the thing together long enough to weather the storm. And I know teachers weary because there are no substitutes to come to their aid. I know nurses working double and triple shifts because of a nursing shortage. I know people who launched businesses and now are barely hanging on, holding it together the best they can. In the storm, sometimes it, it's, it causes you to do things that you don't wanna do in order to navigate your way through. Let's continue to read what happens. It's interesting to me because at the end, as they're throwing things over that once were important, like cargo and mm, food, <laughs> they had reached a place that last line may be the most daunting. In verse 20, we hear these words. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest raged, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned have you ever come to a place when the reserve tank of your faith seems to be growing to half full quarter tank an eighth of a tank have you ever known what it's like to be running on the fumes of faith when the sun doesn't shine and the stars and moon can't be seen for long enough it's possible to lose all hope of being saved do you know what you need in that kind of storm? We need somebody to be able to stand up and say, do not panic. Do not lose courage. And that's exactly what Paul did. He stood up and listened to the words he brought. Men, beginning in verse 21-ish. Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and thereby avoided this damage and loss. I urge you now to keep your courage for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For the last night, for last night, there stood by me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before the emperor and indeed God has granted safety to all those who are sailing with you. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have told. But 
we will have to run aground on some island. (laughs) Best line, right? Paul has this faith because Paul knows this isn't his last port. When you have the capacity to remember where you're going, then you can muster the courage to endure what you're going through. Will you let that just kind of seep into the bloodstream for just a moment? When you know where you're going, he knew that his, his calling was to ultimately stand before Rome and Caesar and proclaim the good news. And if you know that's your last stop, you know this is just a temporary trial. And I've said for years, you know, you've heard me say this, that the call of God will never take you where the grace of God will not sustain you. The call of God will never take you where the grace of God will not sustain you. Or if you forgive some some bad grammar for just about a half minute, can I say it this way? If you know where you're going to, you can endure what you're going through. If you know where you're going to, you can endure what you're going through. It's called proleptic living. Prolepsis is a Greek word. It's kind of a couple of Greek words crammed together. One that means eyes and vision and sight. And one that means something ahead of time, pro. So to see something ahead of time and to back up and live now as if that thing has already taken place. Another way to think about it is sometimes to our team, all through these last 20 months, from time to time, I have said, you know, if we can just stay steady, if we can be a non-anxious presence, if we can not panic and remain steady, then someday, some years from now, we will be able to tell some pretty amazing stories about how God brought us through this. So maybe one thing to think about in whatever it is that you're facing, whatever storm it is, whatever wind is against you, is what kind of story do you want to end up telling about this? Because you know this is not your last stop. You know this will not undo you. You know that everything that is done was done upon the cross. You know ultimately this is not your last stop. So live now in a way as if that thing is already true now. Because guess what? It is. Yeah, yeah. So he stands and he tells them all this. But then he says, but we will have to run upon some shore somewhere. In other words, there will be a shipwreck always will be we pick up in verse 40 so they cast off the anchors and left them in sea at the same time they loosed the ropes that tied the steering oars and then hosting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach but striking the reef they ran the ship aground the bow Stuck and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the force of the waves. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that none might swim away and escape, but the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make it for land, and the rest to follow, some on planks, others on pieces of ship, And so it was that all were brought safely to land. 
I'm provoked by this image of the shipwreck and it's all falling apart. There are pieces everywhere floating in the tide. The billows are breaking and the dashers are rolling and all that's left is the debris of the thing that got them there. Some hanging on to planks, others hanging on to bits of the ship, others dog paddling their way to life. And it occurs to me that sometimes when we experience the shipwreck, shipwreck nationally, the shipwreck in a church, the shipwreck in your family. It's possible that all we do is fix our attention. We fixate upon the debris in the water and it serves only as a reminder to us of all that we lost. Look what good ship we used to have. Look, it was beautiful and it worked and it floated and it, it was just lovely and this is what's lost. We don't have anything anymore. We could Look at the debris of the shipwreck of our life and think, look what we lost. Or we could say, look what keeps me floating. Look what debris reminds me of the thing that had to be let go in order for me to live. It's possible to look at the debris of your life and thank God for it. If they had not run it ashore, they would have all surely died. Sometimes you gotta run the ship ashore. Because if you don't run it ashore, you lose everything. Interesting, isn't that what Jesus said? And Jesus said, if you wanna save your life, you gotta learn how to lose it. That's what salvation is, sisters and brothers. Salvation is about learning to relinquish everything that you think can save you except God. It takes faith to run your ship ashore. Because when you run your ship ashore, what you are doing is you are declaring to the world that my confidence is not in oars or rudders or sails. My confidence is in the wind and rain of the God who has brought me thus far and will not let me go. Yeah. What happens when you find yourself among the debris of what used to be? You give thanks for what is to come. Because there's always in God's good plan a shoreline of salvation. In the shoreline of salvation, when we muster the courage to relinquish the things that we thought used to save us so that the one who really can can bring us forth, we land upon the shoreline of salvation. They landed on a place called Malta. Malta is a word that means like island of refuge and, and the people were kind and great and compassionate to them. They gave them food, clothing, supplies. And then something interesting happens. They build a fire and Paul, now dripping wet, they're shell-shocked from this ordeal. They're, they're trying to dry off. They've got this fire and he reaches forth and this snake comes and bites him on the hand. The islanders look at it and say, oh, he must be a murderer because he made it through the storm and the gods are conspiring to kill him still. Do you know what he did? The text says he shook it off. Like Taylor Swift, he shook it off. And, and they say then, well, then maybe he's not a murderer. Maybe he's a god. Interesting how, how fickle we can become in the storm, isn't it? He must be a murderer. No, he's a god crucify him Hosanna Hosanna crucify him 
So here is Paul with his hand not swelling, his, his body not uh, falling to the venom of the snake. And we're told that one of the leaders of the town or the, the island had this father-in-law who was very sick. Paul says, well, let me, let me go meet him. Out of gratitude for taking care of their shipwrecked passengers, he went, he went to meet this father-in-law. He goes to the father and he lays his hand on the father-in-law and he heals him. It's a great story. You read about it in chapter 28. But it's interesting to me that the same hand that had been bitten, the same hand that had been wounded was the hand that healed. Isn't it interesting, those of us who follow the one who was wounded in the hand, and yet we know that that is where our healing comes from. What if it's, what if it's true that the thing that reminds you of your deepest wound is actually the place of your deepest healing and salvation. Paul says, I, I will boast in my weakness because then the power of Christ may be made visible in my flesh. Well, from there he goes on and he, he, he goes to Rome, he preaches and the story ends as I told you a moment ago. But the thing I want to leave you with is everybody needs a Malta. Everybody needs a place to go when the storm subsides and the shipwreck is over and you're living among the debris just trying to dry off and get your bearings straight and I want you to know that my prayer as your pastor is that this church will be Malta for the world. That people living in our neighborhoods right next door to you, working in the cubicle next to you, studying in the, in the desk or the classroom next to you will know that here at this place we are the people who are <laughs> imperfect people with unfinished stories, but a lot of great stories about how we've, we've been brought through the storm. 